This is the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Hello and welcome to another edition of the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton with me Andrew Cotter and with a special guest each week talking about their golfing life. This week it is Eddie Pepperell who joins us, who joins us here in China. Eddie, welcome. Ni hao. Is that, is that hello? Ni hao is, ni hao is hello. So I know ni hao and xie xie. That's what, it. What does that mean? Uh, well, I think it's close to thank you in Mandarin, but... We're setting the scene here. We are at uh, Shishan for the uh, WGC HSBC uh, because you are one of the special golfers now, one of the people who yeah. gets invited to the big deals. Do you feel like, uh, I mean, this year has been such a massive, I suppose, breakthrough. You've had little breakthroughs before, but there's sort of been a consistency about your breaking through this year. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, in terms of what you just described there, I don't think uh, I would describe myself as, you know, changing in any way or breaking into the big time commas but we'll see um it might change i mean it's uh it's been a good year obviously lots of consistency which is the number one thing that i care about yeah i just realized i was talking about consistently but you can't consistently break through can you once you've broken through you yeah but i think you can break through layers can't you and levels so you know i would say that qatar was you know breaking through in the winning sense but then in my mind the scottish open and the open was you know, you could say arguably, well, definitely better fields. And so there's a, okay, I didn't win either, but it was being in contention for both of those. And then obviously British Masters and I guess winning the way I won in, in that field, I guess you could say it was a, a slight another breakthrough. But I mean, I got your, I, I get right, your gist. Yeah, I understood what thankfully. I was rambling about. I'm not sure many people do, but hopefully I'm on the same wavelength as you. I've always wanted to be on the same wavelength as you. Well, well yes. Well, um, more fool you. But let's go back. Let's go all the way back then, because this is what we do. We sort of take you through your uh, your golfing life and the, where it all began. Was it uh, Frilford Heath? It didn't golf? begin there, but um, it ended there at a time and then re-began there after a, an incident. Okay, we'll on, talk about that in a moment. Okay. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, it, so it, when did you start playing golf? How about, old were when you? I was about four. Okay. Me and my brother started. He was six, I was four. And uh, we started at a place called Drayton Park, where I still practice now, actually, when I'm home. Hit balls there. My dad later became the steward there for ten years. So, uh, But that's where it all began. And then went to Frilford kind of early teens, from memory. Mm. Yeah. Um, and were you? did you enjoy it from the start? Were you good at it from the start? I was pretty good, uh, and I think I enjoyed it. I mean, I always remember being quite competitive, especially with Joe, my brother. There was always that, you know, rivalry, if you like, between brothers, which was, which was, which I enjoyed. Um, when I wasn't busy chasing him around with pool cues, um, I was trying to beat him on the golf course. So um, that was good fun. And then, yeah, I mean, just it was one of those things you just keep playing as you do at that age, and yeah. before you know it, you're in the county team and. Uh, Whatever, he, off we go. He's a pro now, your brother. He's a pro, teaching yeah. pro, yeah. Teaching pro. The pool cue incident wasn't the incident at Frilford Heath, was it? No, that was a separate one. Um, yeah, me and Joe, we, you, me, we yeah, brothers, you know, so competitive, we'd play computer games, and then he, he beat me once. I think we were playing Brian Lara cricket. He was really good, and I couldn't bat, and, I didn't, and he, he didn't give away a secret, so I lost, I lost the plot and uh, chased him up the house, and... Found a pull cue. He locked himself in the little cupboard in our bedroom, and I just pulled through, pull cue through the door. So um, Jack Nicholson. It was a bit like that, yeah. So I've always been a bit of a psycho, really, but um, I think I've learned to just temper it down a little bit. Yeah, I want to go and find a copy of Brian Lara's Cricket now. On what was that it was on? Such a good, uh, PlayStation. PlayStation, yeah. Original. Okay. I think, yeah. Excellent. I'm heading to eBay right now. Um, so you talk. 
Actually, I do need to talk about the incident then. What is the incident at Filford Heath? I was playing the club championship. I must have been 15 or 16. I was pretty good. I was one of the best there, sort of thing. Could say even expected to kind of win, and it would, didn't go well. And, uh, and on the fourth or fifth green on the blue course, I missed a five-foot putt, and I went mad on the putting green. Big divot out of the green. Uh, I had to repair it, but it was still quite obvious what had happened. And, you know, I got in a lot of trouble for that. I think I was banned for six months, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so, pretty. That's, that is pretty bad. Have you always had a bit of a temper on, or does yeah. that? Do you think that's something that that children have and they learn to control a feather? Or used to be a racket smasher. When yeah, he was I think. I, yeah, I can see me being a bit like Roger Federer. Um, <laughs> uh, I think definitely because my dad, you know, I think took a lot of criticism. He never. There's obviously people say you need to, you know, you need to get that out of Eddie, but a bit like what we see in lots of golfers, even now, you know, Tyrrell Hatton, people like that. There, there's you need that inside of you. That has to always be there, and it still is in me. But obviously, as you get older, you understand the boundaries a bit more, or a lot more, and uh, what uh, is not acceptable. See, I mean, I, I've seen the criticism that someone like Tyrrell Hatton gets for his temper, but I look at that and I think, I, I can't imagine the pressure that... I mean, I can see how frustrated... You know, I would get frustrated. I used to get so frustrated playing golf, so for mm. someone like them, I, I, I'm not so critical of someone like uh, no, Tyrrell. For... me neither. I, I actually enjoy it. I mean, I think it's quite... Well, it's different, isn't it? And, uh, and you know, I, I, I enjoy that part of uh, people's characters but um you know there are those that don't but um yeah. yeah yeah club championship apart the one that went horribly wrong with the divot in the green and the subsequent ban your progress as an amateur was was pretty impressive um just take us through your uh, your honors or your timeline as an amateur first tournament big tournament i won was called the wee wonders up at st andrews oh, yeah. uh, beat jonathan bell who now caddies for tom lewis but caddied for tyrrell yeah last year uh, he was he was the boy to beat at that time beat him that was a big deal because, you know, it was a national kind of tournament at the age of 12. I remember going up there and, and then, uh, yeah, I won the Reed Trophy, which was under 14s. I was a good junior. I was yeah. a good junior. And then I um, got to kind of 17, 18. 18, I had glandular fever for a period, which set me back about a year. But, uh, yeah, I was always a steady amateur, not a will be by any stretch of the imagination, though. Mm. So, um, yeah, nice progression. But when did you realise that being a pro golfer might be an option and might be a possible career? Well, I never thought anything else was, was going to happen. You know, it was always, I'm going to just, golf was my life, you know, and I, it never occurred to me that I may not be a golfer. Um, it wasn't until I turned pro and realised, all oh, this is going to be difficult. I haven't got the English Golf Union there to, to pay for me and to back me up. You know, I've now actually got to think about this and um, take responsibility, which is, you know, yeah. we might get into, but the number, one, uh, the number one thing we must do as human beings. But... Um, yeah, when that happened, it definitely set something in motion with me, I think, in my brain. And, you know, that's where I am now. You know, it's been all just a, a, a kind of a, a journey of decision-making, I would say, to improve me as a golfer. And um, by and large, I think I've done that. Well, tell us about the transition then to being a pro, because we've talked about this on this podcast with, and Podrick was fascinated about it, and Martin Keimer as well, in terms of you get some great amateurs, great juniors who don't make that transition but the, the difficulty of the transition is uh, it really hits or hits some players when they turn pro that this is a totally different deal now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to say why, why some succeed and some don't, I think. Having said that, I mean, I, I think, uh, listen, I'm of the opinion that, that all great, successful people, are, like I've just alluded to there and the idea of taking responsibility, they'll look in the mirror first and they'll say, you know, and they're good at identifying where they're weak and why they're weak and how they need to get better. 
and um, they're not afraid of that. They're not afraid of that idea or concept. And um, that was definitely me. You know, I actually became almost addicted to my weaknesses and a relentless pursuit on my weaknesses. Um, was that your knee? That was my ankle, yeah. It does that from time to time. So I don't know if you heard that or you probably did hear that on the podcast. It's a problem I've got with my Achilles just now. Right. So this is this is breaking into your story no, to tell the story of a 45-year-old man's well, Achilles. And so my ankle occasionally just gives this massive crack. I'm sure it's fine. I mean, I can't walk on it, but I'm sure... Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, um, my failings there. Anyway, I want to talk not about my ankle, but... So moving into... You didn't get your European Tour card sort of instantly. You had to sort of graft away in the, in the mini-tours a bit. And you find yourself... You know, in, in debt, as most golfers do, chasing that dream. So where did it sort of uh, turn around for you? Where did it just start to gather a bit more momentum? Well, I won on the Challenge Tour in 2012, my first event. That definitely um, was a catalyst for me getting my card. You know, you mentioned debt. That was the one week, that was the week, actually. Ironically, I went to pay my hotel bill and couldn't. So where was that? This was in France. Yeah. Um, I think Laurie must have paid, or my mum ended up paying, and well, Laurie paid, and my mum paid him back. But uh, Laurie is that Laurie? Laurie Cantor. Cantor yeah, he's he's always he's always been there with me on the journey, and um, we're both a bit messed up for it, I would say. But uh, I that's the first time I experienced being in debt, and uh, it still haunts me, really. Really? Yeah, really? it does. I really, really hated the idea that I owe somebody money. You know, I, I hated it. It scared me. I actually was. You know, I, I, didn't, I found it very uncomfortable, yeah. Was that the first time you sort of realised that because when you're an amateur or a junior, as you touched upon there, you have your family or the federation union supporting you and suddenly yeah. that, you know, it's, it's all on you? Yeah. But, you know what, I love that. I really do. I mean, it's, uh, it's beautiful, isn't it, really? Because cause it, brings the, it brings something out in an individual for good or for bad and uh, it ultimately ends up either beautiful or destructive, but um, that's life and, you yeah. know, I think it's good. Um, so, getting your European Tour card onto the tour that 2013 would have been your first. It was. Yeah. I remember the first time I remember sort of see, seeing you was at Wentworth that year, because yeah. um, <laughs> when commentating, I, I should say that I obviously I follow the Challenge Tour religiously. But when you're commentating and suddenly someone comes up that you're not too familiar with, you're scrabbling around for notes. So I remember doing lots of searches on who is this yeah. Eddie Popperall character. <laughs> <laughs> But that was the so Wentworth. That was a huge deal for you to be in a tournament that size and and, and finishing so well. It was um, could have won it. I mean, I hit it out of bounds on fifteen in the final day. I think I tied for the lead at that point. So you know, at least at that point, I didn't know that I was bottling it. Whereas in later years, I knew I was going to bottle it. Um, Is that? Do you, do you think it was that the pressure? Uh, well, tough to say. I mean, you know, fifteen's a horrible hole. You haven't got to hit the worst shot in the world there. Did it out of bounds, but I did. Um, it's uh, the good thing about that week was it was I think the first week where I just started with a new coach and Is that Mike Walker yeah and um, I found that my level just improved thanks to him so I was just better at golf all of a sudden but I managed to transfer that over into a result and into playing good golf under pressure um, and that's something that's definitely remained up to this point now so what you know that, that was really pleasing because I didn't get in my own way. Once my skill level improved, my mindset never got in my way of me having good results and contending to win what was the biggest tournament of the year and still is. So um, that was a really encouraging sign, and uh, yeah, something I still feel like I do quite well to this point. But at the same time, other things are happening. You qualify at Walton Heath, a place which you obviously are very fond of mm. now, but for the U.S. Open, so your first major. 
go and play at Merion and yep. did you feel not out of your depth or was it a bit of a shock to the system? Um, I clearly wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, that, that was simple. But um, in terms of being at the event and you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't afraid of anything. It was enjoyable. I mean, it was, you know, I remember walking off, actually, as a rain delay one day, walking off the same hole as Rory. I think it was Rory, Adam, Scott and Tiger Woods first two days and, you know, it was, it was crazy just to see the amount of people shouting Tiger's name. But, um, you know, none of that bothered me. It was just a simple case of I wasn't, I wasn't good enough at golf to be ready at that level. But were you ready um, psychologically for being an adult with all the responsibilities that every adult has in whatever job they do in terms of you've got a bit of money now, you know, setting out on that journey, buying, I don't know, what were you doing, buying a house? Were you? I had bought a flat, yeah. yeah. I had bought a flat. I bought a flat at the end of my rookie... Oh, no, I hadn't bought a flat, no, because I was still my rookie year. So uh, I don't know what I was doing back then. Does anything? Do, does anybody help? Who helps you, you know with what, the advice and getting on tour and preparing you know, for all what, those things? Most, sometimes the most depressed I ever feel is when I think back and, and realise that my parents used to have to pay for our holidays. Mine and Jen would go away, and it was on my mum and dad, and I just that really makes me feel sad. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, there we are. That's part of life as well. Take us on through what 2014. I mean. Every, every golfer has, as I say, the, the peaks and troughs and the dips and form. It's not a sort of smooth line mm. of improvement. Did it feel that way to you? I think, I think it can look smooth. Like a, a, the thing is with golf is a year is such a long time. So, you know, even three months, Christ, as a golfer is such a long time. Within those three months, within that year, there's going to be really frustrating moments. But that might not look that way to the outside world if there's a general improvement. Um, that's, that would describe nicely my career up until this point, um, and even to, the, to a degree this year, that was like that. Uh, 14 was quite a tough year because I had a pretty good rookie year from beat my expectations, really, I suppose, and then had a really tough start to 2014 and uh, had, bought a, had bought a flat at the end of 2013. So had your mortgage and this type of stuff that never knew what that was. Um, with Clydesdale, actually, as your part of the world. Really? Yeah, Clydesdale Bank. Yeah, no, that's, um, that, those are the really obscure bank notes that nobody will accept in England. <laughs> Yeah. True. Um, and then 2014 ended up being a, a good year. Got to Dubai. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, definitely there was there was some nice. It was all good, really. I would say up until 2016, when I definitely lost my way a bit. But, and then the other thing that people might have known you for, as well as your golf, was writing about the life of a golfer. And it's like people look at it, you know, your blog the year and go, "Ah, oh, amazing! A, a sports person who can actually write and articulate things." So why did you start doing that? Well, I just I came across a good writer and a good comedian who I still employ to write my Twitter stuff and uh, cheap does it for cheap. I mean, I pay someone yeah. um, eight hundred pound a year to, to write my blogs and um, oh, he's very good and he's very good and uh, outsourcing wise. I'm trying to outsource. I'm trying to outsource my Twitter to Frankie Boyle, but he's expensive and that <laughs> he would get you in trouble. He would well. get me into trouble, so I might have to settle for I don't know Ricky Gervais if he would. But um, no, I mean the writing just came along, I don't know, end of uh, 2012, I wanted to say. I was doing quite a bit of reading at the time. So because you said, like a lot of you know, youngsters, and dare one say sportsmen, they're so focused on the job that they don't necessarily read a huge amount, and you put yourself in that bracket you hadn't read, and then you, you started. Yeah, I read uh, Lawrence Delalio's book, It's in the Blood, was the first book I read. And then, yeah, just, you know, spiralled into all sorts of different books. I would probably put much of my blogging, though, down to people like Malcolm Gladwell because I started reading his type, his books. So he's the out- outliers. Yeah, the outliers? so he's, yeah. yeah, exactly, he's that guy. Is that the 10,000 hours of practice is what it's uh, sort of known for? Yeah. Anyone who wants to 
succeed at something, the real experts put it had to put in 10,000 hours of Yeah, practice. so now that, from memory, was more like Matthew Saeed, Bounce, that type of... I'm mm. not sure, Malcolm Gladwell definitely probably was more on the nurture side of things, right? He's a, you know, yeah, he, he looked at topics incredibly different. Well, he looked at topics differently. He looked at scenarios differently. And he was the, what, the guy that I, all of a sudden got me thinking about my own experiences and careers and looking at, oh, well, actually, no, you could look at it from a different perspective. You know, he, I gradually understood an, an idea of having a perspective on something and a perception of something. And it was through books like that that definitely changed my way of thinking. And then it led to me writing my blog. And uh, you know. but Having perspective is a, is a great thing for, I'm sure, for a lot of golfers or sportsmen and women. But overthinking is sometimes a dangerous thing, do you think, for... Because when you overanalyze things and you start to, to, to look at things too deeply, then... Oh, it's only a problem if you come to the wrong conclusion. I mean, I don't think you can overthink anything. The reason we are so brilliant as apes is because we have these amazing brains. So I don't see why you should ever, ever limit yourself to thinking that, um, thinking that you shouldn't think. You know, because life would be so boring um, and limitless, you know. Mm. And I just think, actually, sorry, it would be limited um, mm. rather than, you know, having the... The idea that discovering things and experiences and using your brain to... I, I love that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those books definitely got me in that. What do you think about when you're on a golf course, when you're in a tournament playing? Um, it's a long time to be out there. I it's mean. a long time, yeah. I, I, I get really into my process, even in between shots. I'm often wandering around doing silly things with my hands and arms and shoulders, trying, trying to feel things. You know, I'm, I, I do get heavily involved in the process of my technique on the golf course. And then other than that, switching off, I don't know how well I switch off, you know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's tough. The, the blog that we touched upon sort of opened up, you sort of laid yourself bare a little bit in saying actually, you know, people who think that the life of sportsmen is all fun and glamour actually can be, as you put it, you know, quite a lonely place, especially when things are not going well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any different to anybody who travels and is in business or is in any line of work that's remotely competitive. You know, you're going to experience similar types of emotions, I think, than what we do on the golf course. So my blog and my Twitter, to a degree, has always been about, in a, to, a, to a degree, that, you know, the idea of discovering that reality, that, that we're actually we're not very different to maybe you guys at home. We're just we're very good at golf because we've done lots of things over our lives and that's, what, that's our chosen path, right? But... I still think, um, yeah, that, you know, there, there are there are much many more similarities where people wouldn't expect it, and uh, and I hoped that my blog kind of put that across. Yeah. Um, I don't know; it was quite a long time. Ago. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've always found writing really easy when I've really struggled. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Twitter. I have to to bring it up because I I find Twitter, social media. I mean, most people do find it fascinating, but for the life of a, as I say again, for a, for a golfer, you've got a lot of spare time, downtime, and sometimes you end up being dragged into it and finding yourself. I mean, it can be quite a toxic place, obviously, for sports people, for for broadcasters, whoever. Yeah, I mean, have you found the good and bad of it? It's been mostly good. You know, I, I don't really receive any abuse, um, but you know, I uh, I. I enjoy Twitter. I mean, Twitter is the side of me. I mean, there's, I think, a few sides to me. I think there's a few sides to everyone. And I try to allow that to come out in Twitter. You know, the much more... I mean, nearly everything I post on Twitter is, is a joke um, or certainly not serious. There might be the occasional serious tweet, but, you know, I mean, if people think I'm serious about my in Ann Summers, then they've clearly got a problem. 
Does that stay in the podcast? Will that, is, there, is there any editing Well, we'll make, we'll make an editorial decision on that one, okay. um, <laughs> Well, at least I didn't say... <laughs> that okay. would have caused some problems. Right, so that, that one that possibly one. might go. Right. Oh, um, or we might beep it. Who knows? We'll see, we'll um, see what the powers that be say. Um, so, yeah, clearly, you know, with me, you've got to take the Twitter with a pinch of salt. Um, it's different to my blog. You know, my blog's a different side of me when I'm alone and I'm travelling and I'm much more introspective. And I've had a couple of glasses of wine at the 40,000 feet. Yeah. Amazing what you can write. But let me tell you about an experience I had in a hospital in Portugal. I want you to. I was dehydrated a few weeks ago in Portugal quite badly and I ended up in hospital. When I was at the hospital, I started... I, it was a form of hallucination. I didn't know what was going on. Now, at this point, I actually thought I might be high because mm. I had been taking some CBD oil, which is actually legal. It's not cannabis. It's CBD oil and you can't get any of the... You can't get high from that. because. It, okay. But in my mind, I was thinking, am I high? I've never been high in my life. But I was... It was crazy. It was my mind, what was going on, the things I was visualising. I remember nearly saying to Jen, if you could give me a pen and a pad now, I would just love to write. It was, I'd unlocked this zone of creativity yeah. and madness yeah. that I'd never experienced. And that was all while dehydrated. It was bonkers. And I, and I remember thinking, if and when I retire, I want to rediscover that brain state because the blog that could be written could be just entirely uh, r- ridiculous. I would have read um, that. It would have been... Utter gibberish, but at the time yeah. you'd have thought this is it. This is a <laughs> yeah. great novel that I yeah, yeah. always wanted to work on. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you something before you broke in with the, um, the uh, hallucinogenic Portuguese hospital story. Hang <laughs> 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 on a second, where was I going to go? Do you worry when you're tweeting or blogging or speaking interviews? Do you do you ever think about because a lot of players will say will have internally this quality control going on saying right there's an image that I've got to portray and we prefer it in the media when people are honest it's just nice to have a chat and for people to be honest but do you ever think I better just rein it back a little bit not really because I'm of the opinion that as long as you're not racist or sexist or homophobic or you know there's a, well that's a growing list of things you can't be in this day and age let's face it with these neoliberals but let me get back on the topic hang on a minute you're a liberal not not no I've discovered I'm really not Okay, well, well, I am in some ways, but we us definitely not go there on this podcast. I'm way too young to be mm. uncovering that. Um, what was I going to say? Um, <laughs> Are you dehydrated? Again? I think I might be. Um, spicy beef I just had for lunch. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, um, well, we, we, were, we reached the point where we found out that you, you weren't, uh, you, you're across with neoliberals. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. yeah, so protecting yourself oh, by yeah. not being yourself. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. You know, so, so yeah, to my point, as long as you're not those few things that I mentioned, I think you can say anything because uh, fundamentally only somebody can disagree with you or find you unpalatable. Well, I don't care. You know, there's lots of people I don't want to listen to, but I'm not going to try and get my point of view across to change them in any way, shape or form. I mean, that's... that's and I don't feel a responsibility as a golfer on the European tour to be portraying myself in a certain way. Um, but, no, I don't. But you don't think there's an image to portray of... Um, I don't know, the European tour as selling it as a product and doing the right thing and... Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say because I can be like the other golfers, you know. Mm. Now, I'm sure the other golfers, are, they're all great. I know them all and they're, and they're great. Um, or I can continue being me on Twitter, but I don't, I don't, I, you know, would have a hard... I think if I came off Twitter, it would, it would just be a lose-lose for myself and to a degree and 
maybe the public to a degree and maybe even to the European Tour to a degree. I don't know. What about, but, what about sponsors then? Because, again, you're, you're well, one of those ones that... Fl- flooding in. Flooding in. Well, flooding uh, in. they probably are off the back of your success in the course this year. But, you know, do you think someday, oh, well, I could get more sponsors if I played a straight bat now and again? Did you see how much money I just won at Walton Heath? <laughs> no. I must go and check the Clydesdale Bank. I <laughs> shut that down. Um, luckily. Um, no, it doesn't bother me, you know. It doesn't. I, I Does it bother people around you? Do they say, actually, Eric, you just... because oh. I don't know. My dad's wanted me to come off Twitter for years. Probably part of the reason why I'm still on there, you know. But that's probably a generational thing as well in terms of... They must wonder what, you know, why would you need the attention of social media or something? Just... But I don't... Yeah, but, but I think maybe, I'm, maybe my Twitter's misunderstood. I don't do it for the attention. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know why I do it. I don't think I do it for the attention. Um, but, oh, you know, it's just a bit of fun, you know. And... Mm. There will, yeah, I may have crossed some people's boundaries and lines, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think I've said anything yet that could that could really cause me any trouble. Uh, mm. All the tour, I mean. But I've said if they want me to come off, then then I'll I'll come off. You know, I understand I'm a member of the European Tour, mm-hmm. so and a committee member, not just any. Yeah, exactly, member. you're a committee member. You're one of the the garlanded few. So, okay, I mean, I've always thought, and you've talked actually about. Well, well let's talk about the fact is that you mentioned you've you've won a lot of money there is a lot of money out there for for golfers at the moment at the at the top and it, it goes reasonably deep and you've recognized that golfers lead sort of cosseted gilded lives and that you've said that you like to see something more of a distribution or that more could be done with money or people should recognize at least that you know you had that slight disagreement with marcel seem who who, who disagreed with you when you thought that, felt that golfers were a bit... I don't know what you felt they were yeah. a bit. Did you feel that they were a bit spoiled and didn't recognise that they were leading very fortunate lives? I don't know what I was thinking back then. Um, but, I mean, I think golf has done a really good job. In, listen, over the last 10 years, if you look at the whole M&A, merger and acquisition craze in business, right, and indeed in sport, um, it's led to less people having more more share of the pie, right? That's what we see. That's the reason that there's inequality. I mean, oh, that's why it's risen so dramatically. It's, it's that, because that's happened and with QE and all sorts of things, right, if we get into that. Golf at the moment, over the last 10 years, I think has done a really good job of resisting that. Um, and, and I think it's ultimately the whole game and the whole industry does benefit from that because you have more people earning more money. Now, it's always going to be the case that you have your Roy McIlroy's earning huge amounts at the top and whatever down the bottom but when you when you compare it to say tennis it's it's a lot it's a lot more evenly distributed down the scale so um and and that and that's a great thing because take me for example i mean i've donated probably i've probably donated over 50 grand of money to charity now the only reason i've done that is because i can afford to do that not because i'm a nice guy or a charitable guy you know but because i can afford to do it and because there's come a time where i actually want to do it but if i didn't have the money i wouldn't be able to do it and this is the thing you know, the more people you can have like me with slightly more money, then the more opportunity there will come through someone's generosity. And, um, you know, I think that's a good... I think... I don't, I don't see why that's yeah. bad. It's not bad. Nobody would say it's bad, but... Uh... No, I, th- I think... And, and the point I'd make is that you recognise that it's... You're making someone... You must sometimes think, God, goodness me, what, you know, this, all this for hitting a golf ball, it's... You recognise that you are... Hard for- it's it hard is work. very hard work and you're very talented, but the point is that you recognise that you're in a fortunate position as well. Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I've definitely, bec- I've definitely 
become a bit more matter of fact about it of late. I mean, and just taken more of the approach, it is what it is. And hey, there are some things that aren't perfect in life, but whatever. You just make hay while the sun shines type thing. I've become a bit more of that. A bit more of that. But then that would contradict my point about sponsorship. So um, don't bring that up because I could see your brain ticking there thinking it's, you don't make any sense, Eddie Pepperell. My brain's um, not ticking at all. It's, <laughs> it's sort of pottering along. It's flatlining at the moment. So, I, I, okay, so before we get back on to more mundane golfy. Let me just make yes, point. I made, this, I made this on your other podcast, which we probably can't name for legal reasons. Oh, inferior podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't agree. No, no. I, I made that point with the Twitter that every individual I've ever spoken to pretty much has always said to me, I really like your Twitter. And yet there's these people that come together and form a company and then there's this invisible moral code and all of a sudden Eddie Pepperell's Twitter isn't, isn't PC mm. and it isn't right. And that is the problem because we have this idea of what people should be like and yet on the individual level, I think we all love the difference and the disparity and, and, and what maybe I am on Twitter. So that's why I'm not that concerned because I do think in the long run, I do hope in the long run, that individuals will be celebrated again and, and the imperfections in people and the differences in people will actually be celebrated as opposed to lambasted and, and criticised or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, diluted. Int- yes. No, I, I, it's interesting as well when you look at players and the highest profile players and Rory McIlroy would be a great example. And so he's up there to be shot at in terms of when he does give an opinion. We've talked about we love it when he gives an opinion. Then he gives an opinion and people criticise him for it or when he... You know, for example, the Trump thing, saying he would play with Trump. Now, he gets in all sorts of trouble for that. Do you feel um, that sportsmen are sometimes in an un- a no-win situation? Probably. But, I mean, I think anybody could say that they would like to have a round of golf with Donald Trump at the moment and would get crucified on Twitter. And people, the people that would do the crucifying are not under the realisation that actually some people want to have a game of golf with Donald Trump just to... Not to agree with him, to, to question heavily. him or to beat him. I mean, a number of things, right? You could see, so I can criticise Donald Trump because it's the right thing to do at the moment. It's in fashion. It's in fashion, isn't it, to, to be critical of Donald Trump. My point is, you know, I don't know if I like that. Not because he's not sometimes an idiot. Of course he is. But why aren't we allowed, why isn't Rory McIlroy allowed to say, I fancy playing a golf with Donald Trump because he might want to just ask him a question. He might want to understand Donald Trump a bit more. You know what, I've played golf with two people that made me, question lots of things I've read about in the media. Kim Joey Jong-un. Barton. Who? Kim Jong-un. Kim, no. We, <laughs> no, we were joking about him on the range this morning. No, no, can we stay on topic here? Kevin Peterson and Joey Barton. I've spent some time with those and you know what, they were brilliant and, and I had this perception of them in my head before playing with them and it was a negative one and then I spent time with them and they were, fan, they were fantastic and, and I realised, you know what, Nigel Farage is probably a really nice guy. Okay, so what is going on in my head at the moment is that I've got this quality control that I am just going to play the politically neutral bat because the things that I want to say, but then I would never work again. So, um, <laughs> yes, he's probably a very nice guy, and uh, as is Donald Trump, tremendous. Um, Do you think this podcast is going to up my chances of potential sponsorship? I think it's... Uh, or have I ruined it again? No, I think, I think you've ruined it again, but also I think we've, we've both made the editor's job very, very difficult. Indeed, which is what we're here for. So Surely this will all stay in, right? I think some of it will stay in. Um, I think people uh, who are listening to this podcast on the commute are... It's a podcast. I know, I like Noah. That's what I love about podcasts, the informality of it. And uh, we can just be, be normal, have a chat, and it's just called to the microphone. So I hope it all stays in. 
Anyway, what am I going to uh, what am I going to ask you now? I'm going to ask you um, about your elevated status in in golf now, because as I say, we're here and you're getting into you're going to be at the Masters next year. Um, so, what? How do you see? Do you set goals and do you see a progression, or do you just kind of say, "I want to just play golf and see what happens"? I want to just play golf and see what happens. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it feels to be that elevated person you talk about, or that person. I don't even know how it feels to be me right now in that sense. You know, I wish I had more of an object. So, if if you were doing it, I know how it would look. I know how I would feel about Matt Fitzpatrick doing it or Tyrrell Hatton. Know, and it would surely be impressive. But because I'm doing it, I don't know how I feel about it. It really doesn't feel that impressive to me. Um, you know, or it doesn't feel any different. Nothing feels really any different. I'm just still playing golf and I'm playing a bit better on, on occasions and it's whatever it's doing, what it's doing for my world ranking. And I kind of want to keep on that. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to even consider what I might look like to you or to the general public, you know, but to a degree. Do you look at players like in the top ten whoever it might be, McElroy, Johnson, Kepka, Rose, or whatever, do you see them as different creatures to you? Mm, no, not, well, possibly, but not to the point where it means I can't become one of those in terms of their um, achievements. Um, no. no. Do you think you have to... Well, I'm just wondering, if you th- do you think you have to have a mentality, a psychology that's... that's that they have, or do you see yourself as as focused as them? Because again, we see this person who's a slightly different mm. character, and I think people then associate that with, oh, he must not be quite um, so yeah. zoned in. Or... Yeah, that, that's obviously, you know, listen, you don't get good at something by not thinking or by being lazy. I'm not, I'm not lazy. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I clearly go about it differently to some of these guys you're mentioning, but. Um, no, I think I'm highly focused when I need to be. And uh, there's that bloody ankle again. Um, <laughs> I'm slightly worried about it, actually. I'm going to go to some hospital in Portugal and get it checked out. You definitely out. get some good treatment over here on it. Yeah. Some Chinese medicine. Get some acupuncture on it. Well, acupuncture but, is good for it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. There's the place. Um, lost my train of thought again. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm so sorry. Talk about the, 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 sort of the players at the very, very top of the game. And we sometimes see you perhaps as not being as... I don't know, what I, as cold and clinical and focused as, as they are. I was pretty clinical and cold at Walton Heath mm. in terms of my focus and my determination to win that tournament. I surprised myself there. Yeah, once you got mittens from your, your mum. My mother. Yeah. How, how did that happen again? You had to get some mittens brought to Yeah, you? Mick left my mine in the locker. I saw them in the locker when I got back. Okay. I dogged him a few percent for that. Um, mum just saw I was cold. So she, bless her, came and gave me her mittens, yeah. Okay, well, that, that leads us nicely into home life because only because I'm a dog obsessive as well. Your, uh, your dog, Gus, is... Uh, well, how do you f- find leaving, uh, the travelling around the world and, and leaving things behind? Is, again, is that just a sort of occupational hazard of the job? You know, I'm my best self in transit. That's what I've discovered. And when you travel a lot, I think that happens. I think when you're home for too long, you, 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 you want to get away. And then when you're away for too long, you want to get home. So there's this constant battle and it's being fought out at home if you're, with, if you're with your girlfriend or your wife or your family or your dog for too long and likewise when you're away so when I'm travelling I understand the necessity of it in terms of my happiness and my relationship quality of my relationship, the quality of my time that gets spent with Jen and with the dog and whoever so of course you know I love being at home with the dog but um, you know I don't feel terrible when I leave him because I know there is actually there's a beneficial 
other than the fact that I'm going to work, obviously, there's a, there's a you know there's another benefit to doing it. So I'm, yeah, you know, I try to I try to add some level of reasoning or logic or whatever above my emotional kind of state. If that makes sense, and then it tends to tends to dampen my uh, my emotional yeah. spirit. And not to get all Hello Magazine on you, but Jen is your partner. Yes. 10 years, 11 years. Yeah, close, coming up to 11 years. Is yeah. she understanding? Does she travel with you a bit? Or? She comes occasionally. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she's great. Yeah, she's, uh, we, uh, we're definitely very settled. We, yeah, we're as good as married. good thing is we've been together since we were 16, so I can imagine we watch first dates quite a lot and, and we always joke about what would it be like to go on a first date and we always come to the same conclusion. Jen, you'd be fine. Eddie, you'd be f***. Um, okay. Do you reckon that'll stay in? Um, we've probably reached a tipping point. No, I think. Can we not get a beep? Well, we can get a beep. Yeah, be a no, beep. absolutely. I love the beeps because then people can just imagine you said something worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. So, yeah. Jen's definitely my better half. Yeah. Okay. The so, better half. I okay. Say. So again, leading on to only because you said it recently, <laughs> you thought jokingly she was going to leave you because you saw yourself at the open. You put on a bit of beef. Is that? Uh, yeah. Is that right? It's what led me to my diet change. Now, t- talk us through your dietary, because it's, it sounds bizarre and awful, and uh, we mentioned buttery coffee before. But um... Yeah, well, it's... I, yeah, I saw some pictures of me at the open, and I thought I did look, for a 27-year-old, mm. a little unwell. Um, energy levels were tough. USPJ was the one. I felt really... It was hot. It was... Uh, I thought I was going to die on the course. You know, it was just like, well, what's going on? I'm 27. I should be feeling a bit better than this, surely. Do you think that just goes down as a miscut? They... No, I made the cut. No, oh, okay. So, um, well, making the cut and then dying, that's better than Thursday well, death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I just figured I'm going to cut carbs out. I wanted to just lose a bit of weight, and I know the quickest way to do that is to, apart from cutting chocolate and wine out, which I couldn't do, obviously, I cut out bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, and uh, sure, and I up my fats, so, you know, lots more avocados, eggs, salmon, this type of thing. Mm. You're still recording, yeah? You You're still that. recording, I'm yeah. No. Worried you paused it. Well, I'm no, not no, I'm not. This is I'm just, not boring you. you are, no, no, I'm not just, yet. I'm just on Twitter. <laughs> um, and, With uh, Eddie Purple, hashtag um, going well. No, hashtag <laughs> edit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I ended, up, uh, I ended up doing that, and uh, it was really interesting. Because I did lose some weight. Energy levels felt a little down. Um, but my brain function was, I mean, top-notch. I was... Yeah, I was, I mean, I was absolutely wired. Yeah. So, and I enjoy that. Excellent. Okay, only because you mentioned it sort of near the start of the podcast, because I thought, Eddie Pepper, there he is, he's a, he's a liberal, but no, are you drifting? So that, that's a familiar path for people as they get older, they drift further, further <laughs> they right. come harder and harder. I've always thought you, you're, you're actually quite openly quite um, socialist, left-wing in terms mm. of... Don't, don't shake your head and grimace at me. I know. Is that not the I'm case? I'm concerned I've portrayed that image because it just means down the road more people are going to be disappointed in me. Um, having said that, I'm not avoiding tax yet, which is good. Um, we're evading, a, I should yeah, say. That's, that's we all thing. avoid tax, let's be honest, but none of us will have to evade it. Um, I, yeah, listen, I'm not a politician and I don't go into it really. I think the less said the better, mm-hmm. you know. I think about it, of course I do. You know, I, I watch the news, I read, well, I don't watch much news, but, you know, Whatever, I mean, it's just it's, it's a it's a bloody wasteland at the moment, politics, isn't it? It's yeah. is, just a terrible... It's just a bad part of life right now, I think, to politics. So I kind of, you know, try to stay away from it. But I've touched on it, responsibility. You know, if I was a politician, all I would just say of people is just, just look in the mirror first, you know what I mean? Is there anything you can do differently before saying, 
I want something from you or I expect something from you, you know, because there's always something you can do. So, yeah. And if there isn't, then, well, there, there it is. There's always something you can do differently to improve your own life. So how would you that portray that message as a politician and get away with it and be effective, though, in this day and age is truly, I have no idea how that would work. Yes. Um, no, no. You know, I, see, I, politics is a really depressing subject. Don't we get it is depressing. It? So I like the way we're just ending this podcast with a depressing It's finished already. Politics. No, no, it's not finished yet at all. No, no, we've still got... Uh, we just ramble on about anything in particular. Again, that's why I love podcasts, because it just goes where we take it. The editor, did you hear that meowing a moment ago? That's the kittens that the editor has given birth to in the corner of the room. <laughs> I was thinking, how am I going to sort this out? What do you want from your golfing career? Do you set say, a long term, not talking about goals in terms of short term, but what do you want from the rest of your, your career or, or life? There's a big question. I, I just don't know. I don't, I just, I'm not sure I know. Um, yeah, I mean... Living day to day. I think so. I don't think it's a bad way to feel that way, you know? To feel the way I do. Mm. To be directionless. Because you can be kind of directionless, but at the same time, be present, as you've just said, and uh, be effective and actually be quite good at something. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what I want to look like or be like or who I want to be in 20 years' time. I, I wouldn't like the idea of actually knowing what either what, what that would be like so uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of happy as things are yeah. although I I don't know maybe I am unravelling into an unholy mess how, how did you get onto the uh, tournament committee how did that come about was that something that you wanted to or were you asked to approach the um, I guess the short answer is bribery um, amazing what Keith Pelley would take for a bit of money um, uh, I just I just yeah I don't know I just put my name in the hat and uh, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the... I have done. I mean, you know, definitely can't talk about so many things. So, uh, yeah, I would say I have done. It's been, it's been good to be in the same room as people like Thomas Bjorn, Lee Westwood. Uh, you know, these guys who are big voices, obviously big characters. Just to see them in a different... Off the golf course, because, you know, hey, you see somebody like Thomas on the golf course and he's flat out miserable. But you see him in the... In, off the golf course in that environment and he's actually fantastic and um, very thoughtful and has got so much to give so you know yeah to be and it's just been interesting to actually have a couple of debates get, get an understanding of the politics of something you know because it's crazy obviously when you start having to make decisions and um, envisaging the outcomes of a, of a decision obviously you know understanding cause and effect that type of thing it's, uh, it's, just, it's just crazy complex so yeah but to have a little taste of that's been quite nice. Actually, I meant to say, one thing I meant to ask you about, and then we got distracted by various, um, various dark alleyways, um, the Ryder Cup, because you came close to getting on that team, and you joked about, you know, I would only have lost, you know, I would have contributed zero points. But I think most people know that's probably not true. true and just say, well, yeah, I think most people know that's really true. <laughs> no, that's just a good, healthy dose of self-deprecation, but you must have been frustrated to just miss out. Not really. Not really. It was never an expectation to make that team, and I never expected a pick. Um, Thomas would have been crazy to have picked me. Why? Um, I mean, look at the way you play and the way. Yeah, well, I've you... played very well since. I mean, obviously Portugal and and British Masters both since. No, Portugal was before, but after the um, the picks and all that sort of thing. I mean, I love watching it on TV. It's like the Masters or the Open for me. I could give it. Or, I could take it or leave it with these things. It's because 
they're bloody great to watch. Yeah. You, you just know? love watching the highlights on BBC television. Right? Oh, I won't go that far. Does anyone still watch the BBC these days? Well, don't I let heard... me... Hey, don't, 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 I... because I will bring in viewing figures to this and you will be in a heap of trouble, my friend. <laughs> That's not good. I have heard, though, Killing Eve's supposed to be brilliant. That's BBC, isn't it? Killing Eve. You know? It is supposed to be brilliant, yes. No, you I, don't, I don't watch it. No, <laughs> no, you just walk the dogs. In the cave on the in mountainside. The, I, I mm. imagine that you come from a place... Have you seen uh, Game of Thrones? Oh, yes. So north of the wall, so, yeah. right? It's, it's a barren wasteland. No, no, even very further, strange yeah. creatures. I, I kind of imagine when you go on your dog mountain walks up in the snow that do you ever come across like white walkers? White walkers or big? I'm one of the white walkers. This is see now the thing is people listening to this be a very small percentage watch Game of Thrones because we think it's a big popular program, but it's only a tiny. That's bad, isn't it? Relative. It's the most amazing show I've ever yeah, seen. I can't wait for the next season. When is it coming out? It's supposed to be oh, in the spring. so good. Anyway, again, a little uh, dark alleyway there, so I can't even remember what we're talking about. But, um, shall we wrap it up there? There's got to be a couple more questions. I'm in no rush to go back onto the range. Come on, what, what else can we... Uh... What else can we talk about? OK, right, I've stolen your phone, Eddie, and we have on your Eddie Purple election manifesto. So good, they're written in bullet points here. So this is what... Was this to get onto the committee or was this once you've got on the committee? This was my proposal, yeah. Okay, so improved food options for caddies. They do okay, don't they? Mm. Some of them looking a bit gaunt. Uh, not many. Uh, maths and English exam retake options for caddies. Really? You're not making many friends with the caddy fraternity. Well, no, well, see, there you go. I had to hit them, didn't I? It was like, oh, Eddie's great. Oh, Eddie's oh. a... What? what? Yeah. Give and take. Exactly. There's... That's, okay. my, that's my philosophy. Uh, 40 second shot clock only for players who voted for it. Yeah. There we are. So what about the big talking point? Mm. You, don't, you don't think the game is, it matters much that it's too... Because I don't think we can ever get around a golf out here under four hours. And my argument is four hours is still a long time. Yeah, four People hours want is okay. two hours. People maybe want two and after three hours. We are never, ever going to get around some of these golf courses in under four, four and a half hours. Okay. How Not long is possible. your pro-am round today? Today was four and a half hours. Well, that's quick for a pro-am. It was brilliant. Oh, of course, it was a three-ball after 12. Because <laughs> he walked <laughs> off. Right. Okay. Oh, look, you're, and you're, David Howell wasn't in front of me. Your phone shut down, so I've got to... If you could just right, give I me your got code. a password, which is great. probably dangerous. No password. That is dangerous. I'm going to steal this, and there are going to be some tweets about... Uh, I don't know what. Right, okay. Um, preferred lies at Italian Open. Okay, perpetual. We'll skip over that one. Paper water bottles at all events be an environmentally friendly tour. There we are. I was with my girlfriend at the time when I wrote the manifesto. And so you're just trying influence. to appear right on to her. I think it's a good idea. No, it is good. It is good. Plastic it's, ocean. Absolutely. Have you seen all that stuff? It's oh, pretty it's scary, yeah. Of course awful. you've seen that stuff. Of course I've seen that stuff. Raging liberal. I am a raging liberal. Actually, I'm, I'm the rage and I'm a liberal. Right, vegan options at all events for the Australians. Why just this? this tri- oh, I see, because they, they're not vegan, because they love their... No, no, no. Australians are very healthy, I found. All of them. Okay, there we are. <laughs> Let's yeah. generalise. I've met three. They are, they are healthy. They are. I've never been to Australia and I've met four <laughs> tall players from Australia. They're really healthy they people. Are, yeah, they're, they're really tremendously healthy people. Exceptionally healthy people. <laughs> You've not been to Australia? Never been. I should go. Go in the winter, every winter. Go to Melbourne. Um, so vegan options at all events for the Australians. 24-7 camera on Tyrrell Hatton. We've gone there, we've been there. Yeah, we've that's just for the, yeah. the angle. Which we don't mind. For the lols. Provide Alex Norton with moisturiser on the first tee in the 18th. I was cream. concerned that this was going to get be misunderstood. Is that for his hands? Exactly. He's yeah, got very, very. Um, well, well, he's grown himself into the 
on the on the practice ground. Exactly. He's just he's got calluses. Exactly. So, Do you not? And what? the reason I said that is because you only shake his hand on the first tee, obviously, and off the 18th green. So. Oh, and is it is it is it, it dry? Was, it was the shaking hand thing, you oh, know, okay. not to be horrible to Alex. I mean, he's no. a lovely guy. Oh, lovely, good looking guy. He's well. a lovely looking guy. Actually, he's getting really good with age. I think Alex. I must say, he's possibly the best looking guy out there, is he? Adam well, Scott, you see Adam oh, Scott. Adam Scott, no, you're right. You've trumped of... me with Adam Scott. Yeah. Not trumped me, you can't say that anymore, but he's, he's abamming me with uh, Adam Scott. <laughs> um, right, Adam Scott. Adam Scott won, Alex Norton two. They're the best looking guys out there. Um, introduce a bill eliminating the possibility of any fines being handed out through activity on Twitter. Have you been fined at all for anything you've said on Twitter? No, I haven't. But... It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we should start that. Okay, do away with appearance fees. There we are. What's wrong with appearance mm. fees? Get the big stars? That's what the public... Yeah, I've changed my mind now because I might get a few next year. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and allow dogs in the players' lounge. Who wouldn't yeah. be... There we go. So I took my ahead dog... Ahead of Spanish players, actually. Well, yeah. Ahead oh, of we Spanish edited, players. We edited that bit out, didn't we? Okay. So that will make no sense, that oh, joke. Right, so we'll probably have to edit we'll that out edit anyway. that bit out as well. It's a standalone Christ. edit. So I'm all for that. Allow dogs in the players' lounge. I am all for that. I took my dog once to... A media centre, I think it was at the Women's Open actually, and some of the journalists did not approve of that. Really? But she was just wandering around, making everybody being happy. And uh, this is the white one or the black this one? This is the black one, Olive. She was the only one. She's the, the oldest. She's the oldest. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing, Eddie knows dogs. Um, yeah, so Olive just wandered around, wagging her tail and asking people if they wanted help with their copy, and, and some of the journalists did not care for it at all. But uh, so I've, I've gone after them. I'd like to know which journalists actually. Well, I, so they, they, they've made a powerful enemy. Oh, they made quite a weak enemy in me. So there we go. Um, do you think any of those will come to pass on the man- manifesto? Um, mm. I can't see the appearance fee changing. No. No, some very greedy men out here. Um, mo- Moisturiser for Norman it is then. Mm. See, we've, we've done that thing. We've, we've taken away with a bit of criticism saying he's got incredibly calloused hands, but we've given by saying he's the second best looking guy out there. Exactly. Let's talk about Qatar, Eddie. Your first win on the on the, <laughs> the European. I had quite a lot to drink at the week of Qatar. You know, there's a definitely recurring thing going oh on here God. with me. Um, and so during the tournament or yeah, just yeah. in the practice? I days? drink most at golf tournaments. I don't drink very much when I'm home, but when I'm away, I tend to find that I need at least one glass at night. Right. Sometimes two, and yeah. if it's been a bad day, whatever, it might be three. Okay, I but, really should stage an intervention at this point. Yeah. Here. So, but Qatar, I, I had my sponsor out there. Laurie was there. Manager was out there again, and uh, we. We uh, had a really good, really good week. And I'd played terrible the week before. And I just started with a new coach. It was, it was so unexpected. Mm. And then uh, went and shot seven under day one and just felt amazing. The game felt great. Isn't that frustrating as well, though? Because you think, where did that come from? How can I replicate that? You know, British Masters two weeks ago, Pro-Am, the worst I've played. Worst I've played for months. I was angry. I didn't want to be out there. It was... Uh, Fallen out, we didn't fall out with Mick, but we had a disagreement at the caddy. It was horri- It was like the, the least enjoyable Wednesday I've had for a long time. I go and win the event. And I played with the club captain. And then I saw him every day on the first tee because he was starting us off. And his face every day was like, what are you doing leading? I played with you Wednesday. Yeah, you were you horrendous. And then I had a drink with him afterwards on the Sunday and he couldn't believe I'd won, you know. Because I was terrible. And so it does go to show, you know, you really, you just... You just never know what to expect. It's just a bonkers game, um, really. But and, and the Open as well, because your approach to that, and it, people turn up at the Open, you know, when they 
get to play in the biggest of them all. And they're there on the Monday practicing, Tuesday practicing, Wednesday. When did you, what practice did you do for the Open? I flew, uh, I flew into Glasgow, actually, and hired a car and was out of there as quickly as possible. Um, that was on the Tuesday. And then what, I, whoa, 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 what are you saying about Glasgow? I don't know. I just love Edinburgh. That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, Glasgow's a better city. See, I'm ostracising people in Edinburgh now. Edinburgh's lovely, but Glasgow's got a better mix to it. Mm. Well, you know, whatever. I like Edinburgh. Whatever. But I drove across, did a bit of practice Tuesday afternoon. I was quite tired, didn't, didn't fancy playing, and just practiced Wednesday. You know that? I've, I've utilised that approach a few times, and uh, I think more about my energy levels, more about my game, you know, how does the swing feel? Because, you know, it doesn't matter how well I could go and play Frilford, but if I'm swinging it like, a, like an idiot, mm. then I'm not going to shoot six, seven under par. So it doesn't really matter how well you know a golf course, if you, especially at this level, because there's so many good players. If, if you're not, actually, if your skill set is the number one thing, you know, people talk about mindset or physical, you've got to be really good. You've got to have your skills under such control. And that's all I really ever try and focus on. So that was my approach for the Open and the Scottish Open as well, to a degree, because I had no practice round there. Yeah. And, I mean, no practice round. That's amazing. Yeah. So knowledge of the course to you doesn't really, no. doesn't really mean as much as... Because if, if you've got a caddy there, given the, as long as you're hitting the ball well... Well, I don't listen to the caddy either. But um, you've just got you to hit the golf shot. It's pretty obvious what you've got to do. And um, there might be the occasional tee shot or hole where you're like, well, what, what is going on here? But that's not the case with Carnoustie. I'd played it a few times. I didn't appreciate how bouncy it was, I will say that. Mm. When I got onto, I think it was the fifth tee, it's a short par four, you lay up in between two bunkers and it was into the breeze. And you, the layup point was like 240 yards and Mick said, it's a five iron into some wind. And I looked at him and I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, this, could, this is going to pitch 180. And the five iron did go about 235 yards into the breeze, you know, and, and it was it, it did blow me away how firm it was. So, yeah. you know, there was a I could have maybe won the open if I'd have uh, actually, you know, tried on the practice days. But yeah. then again, Andrew, knowing me, I would have missed the cut. No, fair enough. Um, and I stayed in four far that week. Have you been? Uh, yeah, well, and a... there's no such place as four far for a start. Four far. <laughs> ah, four, four far. far. <laughs> Well, that's the joke, isn't it? Four, 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 east five, five. Yeah, yeah. I stayed in four, four. four. Stayed in four, four. Yeah. And uh, that was. Oh, gives me the shivers just thinking about that place. Because it's so lovely, is what you're about to say. Um, Stuart Wilson, football coach, former British amateur champion. Four, four. Four, four, ten years. There was a lovely pub in four, four. I will say that food was really good. Apparently, people travel from quite a long way to go and eat at this restaurant. And we met uh, a waiter. Can't remember his name. Uh, he was a guy from America. He was a black guy from America. In, f- in Forfar. Right, exactly. And we were there and we were like, how does it happen that you know, this fella from America ends up in Forfar? Mm. So we got speaking to him and yeah, he was from, I think he was from Alabama or something and he just said he came over and just ended up being a waiter at this pub in the middle of nowhere. So he wanted to be in Forfar. It was, yeah, there's clearly something going on in Forfar that um, I, Forfar. Uh, I am not aware of, but Forfar. maybe wow. I need a piece of. Interesting. There we go. Um, and actually, when you had that good finish and you sort of... This is what you say, you know, in interviews, you said, oh, I was hungover last night. So I threw away quite funny line and then people just latch on to go, oh, Eddie, what a, what a character. Yeah. And did you expect that kind of... Oh, they, the thing is, I'm concerned people think of me as like a bit of a party boy now. And, um, you know, that I couldn't mm. be further from the truth. You know, I'm, I'm... Like I said, you're more likely to find me in a tweed jacket in a library with a bottle of wine depressed than you are in a nightclub, you know, with five or six women around me, you know, at a booth. I'm, I'm, 
Oh, def- no, that's never going to happen. turned away by your tweed jacket. You don't have a tweed jacket. I don't have a tweed no. jacket. I don't know why I said tweed jacket. <laughs> it's got an image. Do you have a tweed jacket? Nobody has a tweed jacket. Actually, they do. Of course, lots of people have tweed jackets. Of course, I don't have a tweed jacket. Yeah. I'm, I'm from I actually tweets. had to wear a jacket the other night. Um, we went to a place called Le Manoir. It was in Oxford for dinner. It was beautiful. We had to wear a jacket. And I haven't owned or, bought or wore a jacket since 2015, I think. Right. And I put it on, and it was so tight. So I had to throw a couple shirts away. Really? And just one of those moments again where I just feel very inadequate and kind of, you know, sad. I think we should leave the podcast on that note. That is a beautiful place to leave it. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure, Andrew. I like the way you're just wrapping this up. This is tremendous. Yeah, no, thanks very much. You better wrap it up, actually. Thanks, no, I, I, thanks to Hilton. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll do the, uh, the formalities. Well, thank you very much, Eddie Peppel, for sharing your life on tour. Thanks for listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. You can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram at European Tour using the hashtag Life on Tour or on Facebook. Subscribe now and if you enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts.